Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week is episode 330, and we're talking about our top 10 things to do in England. Ah, Mother England. We have a kind of love-hate relationship with England. I don't know why we didn't like it for so long. I think it might have been because we spent a lot of time in England when we were broke. So we'd arrive in England, it would be raining, and we'd have no money. So there was a lot of negativity, and I remember flying in one time thinking, oh, here we are in England again. But recently, my feelings have changed, and I think it's partly because we have a bit more cash, and we have more connections, so life is a lot easier when we go to England. And there really is so much going on, so much to see, so much familiarity now. So we have that feeling of going back somewhere that we are familiar with. So yeah, definitely things have changed. Yeah, I don't think it helps that whenever we fly in, it's most commonly into London. And without EU passports, it's the longest wait. And even with my dual citizenship and my EU passport, it's still the longest wait. So yeah, so I think that always kind of smacks me over the head. Well, it definitely makes the most sense for you to come through the passport control line that I go through, which is for non-EU citizens. Because if Craig goes through the British passport control line, then he just whizzes through. But then I take kind of two or three times as long as I usually would. Whereas if we're together, it takes a long time to go through the line, but we get to the front and they're generally quite quick. They go, okay, you guys are together. Yeah, you're fine. And they they let us through. That's very nice of them. Very nice of them. So we're closing down on our last few weeks here in Panama. It's it's crazy to think after almost six months of being here, we're in the final countdown. We're in the last three weeks. I know. It's quite crazy to think that our time is coming to an end and we're having to start to make plans and think about flights and think about buses and where we're going next. And I don't know. I get into the, the rhythm of things when I'm somewhere for a while and then Going back into the fast-flowing movement of travel, it's a—it's an interesting transition. Should be good, though. So we have made some plans. We're going to leave here, head up to Nicaragua, and spend a few weeks up there for popping back down to San Jose and Costa Rica. That's going to connect us to a flight to LA, where we're going to be meeting up with an Indie Travel Podcast listener there. There's talk of barbecue and hiking. It shall be good. Then we'll be flying down to Melbourne, Australia, where we'll be for some of November. And then sometime in November or December, these tickets have not been bought yet, (laughs) we will jump across the ditch back home to New Zealand for Christmas. It'll be our first Christmas back. I think this will be the third year. Yeah, we missed two years. Our our plan is generally to be at home for one Christmas and then be away for the next Christmas. But, you know, we don't tend to do very well at this. The first time we were away, we were (laughs) we're very bad at planning. Yeah. I think the first time we were away, we were away for two Christmases or maybe three. And then we had two in a row at home and then we had one away and then we had two. We're just not very good at schedules. But it's a nice (laughs) framework, isn't it? I mean, it's not meant to be something dictatorial, but it's, you know, it's a nice idea. Mm -hmm. It's a nice idea. We have had one Christmas in the UK, haven't we, in in England? We have indeed. That was cold. (laughs) (laughs) Cold but beautiful. I remember that first time that we flew in, actually, forgetting Christmas, that first time we flew in and thinking about cold, (laughs) when the pilot came over the speaker In mid-March, wasn't it? Mid-March, late March, we were thinking spring. We were thinking temperatures around 20 degrees Celsius. We were thinking, you know, nice spring temperatures. 
And the pilot came on and said something along the lines of, Welcome to London, blah, blah, blah. And the temperature on the ground is about minus six degrees. And Linda let out this shriek of horror. <laughs> a squawk, you could say. A squawk, maybe, yes. <laughs> at which point everyone in the plane turned around to look at Linda. And then I think everyone in the plane started laughing. Not everyone, just No, everyone. no, you're right. We were flying into Britain. Most people were just sniggering under their breaths. <laughs> well, what happened was, you know, I knew that the, the the hemispheres had different temperatures, you know, that when we were in summer, they were in winter and everything like that. But I hadn't really considered different winters, different winter temperatures. And I just thought, okay, it's going to be spring, so it's going to be, you know, a certain temperature. At least it's going to be above 10 degrees. But no, it was well below the depths of winter in our opinion and yeah it was freezing and that night was the very first time i saw falling snow so that was quite nice <laughs> and very cold but hey london is definitely worth getting into and it's worth several weeks in itself but make sure we're going to start in the capital here but make sure you do get out and explore further afield yeah and also bear in mind these are our top 10 things to do if someone asks us i'm going to england what should i do these are the things that we would mention of course, we're going to be missing hundreds of things because there are... Thousands of things. Thousands of things. Tens there. of thousands of things. I'll be quiet now. <laughs> I think they get the message. But yeah, there, there really are so many things to do. I mean, England is a country that has a rich and amazing history. There's so much going on. And I was reading recently about these literary tours that you can do around around England. You know, you can see where Agatha Christie lived and, you know, all of these things that I would love to do. But there are so many things. We've had to limit ourselves to 10 things. So we're going to share them with you now. I think if you can do one of the most iconic things to do in London, it would be to visit the Tower of London because it pulls in uh, something that's really central, something that's really iconic, shows up in almost every film that features London, and it combines the, the past and the present of London City really well and ties in with all the royalty and monarchy and pomp and circumstance that goes along with that. So just for all of those reasons, definitely worth a visit to the Tower of London. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there are so many different buildings as the complex grew over time. You know, you can see uh, models of what it looked like at a certain date and then these buildings were added. And so it's a really great kind of center of history. So I really enjoyed that. We were there over Anzac Day a couple of years ago. No, sorry, it's not Anzac Day there. The War Memorial Day. Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day in, uh, in London. And they had filled the moat of the Tower of London with these uh, big sculptures of poppies, which I thought was really beautiful. But in winter, you know, they uh, flood areas of it and allow you to go ice skating. So there's there's always something changing, even though it's something that, well... It's a great big living fortress, isn't it? So it's not going anywhere. It's not really <laughs> changing much. But there's always something going on around there. Yeah, it makes it quite accessible. When We went there three or four times in our first two years, maybe because we had friends coming or whatever, and we always went to this one chicken place nearby which played really terrible music. Uh, really terrible? Come on. It was it was the best of the seventies. Okay, it was it really was pure glory. Really loud music, <laughs> uh, power ballads, and so we'd be sitting there eating our fried chicken and listening to these power ballads. And we thought, you know, next time we were back in in London, we're like, maybe we should go to the Tower of London. Maybe we should just go back to the power ballads and chicken place. <laughs> I still remember it very well. But last time we were there, we went back and they weren't playing power ballads anymore. It was just no, boring no. pop. 
Rubbish pop and chicken just doesn't sound as good, does it? We haven't been back since. Ah, terrible, terrible. Okay, let's move along. Number two, we really think that if you are in England, you should visit Bath, which is just an amazing, beautiful town, well, city. Yeah, it's just so elegant and gorgeous, a wonderful town to walk around. You can have bath buns. You can see where Jane Austen's characters hang out. Ah, I love it. I enjoy the Roman history that comes up here with the baths of Bath, you know, the Roman baths. Yeah, I remember studying them when I was like 13 or 14 years old. It was the example in our classic studies or Latin class on, uh, there's a whole lot of people around the world right now going, classic studies in Latin classes. (laughs) Um, Yes, that happened in my school. And so I remember the, the Roman baths in Bath being the example and yeah so it's really cool to to go in there and you can actually spa in there if you have the money and the time but really cool museum okay let's move along to number three which is head to the seaside another type of bath you can go you know sea bathing or sunbathing sunbathing I remember on a day when it was gloriously hot and we went down the beach and we went there and some people had actually, you know, taken off their shirts and gone out in bikinis and all sorts of things. And I was there in jeans and a light sweater feeling the wind. Yeah, it was it was a mild day. Well, now, we learned what mild meant when we were in England. We, we never really understood the meaning of this word mild, you know. We'd seen cheese that was mild flavored, but we didn't know what mild went, meant when talking about the weather. But one day I walked into a shop. It was completely freezing. We were in St. Albans. I was wearing everything I owned. And I walked into a shop and I overheard one woman say to the person at the counter, oh, it's quite a mild day today. And suddenly it dawned on me. In England, mild meant I thought it was going to be ridiculously cold today, but it's only more or less cold. (laughs) So I learned that it meant not as cold as I expected. Nice. And so, yes, it was a mild day. And for a lot of people that meant throw off your clothes and go sunbathing. And for us, it meant, yeah, jeans and a t-shirt. But there's great places to get into the water. That can't be uh, forgotten. I would head down to Cornwall, beautiful, rough coast, beautiful surf, lovely. For most of the year, going to the seaside doesn't necessarily mean going swimming because English weather isn't necessarily suited to swimming in the sea all year round. But there's lots of attractions that you can do. I remember when we lived in Hastings over a summer, we, you know, we went and played mini golf and there were theme parks on the, on the water and yeah, lots of those penny slot machines that you can play to win prizes. That kind of thing is quite the typical English seaside activity. And of course, fish and chips. Of course, of course. Hastings has a pretty cool castle too. Yeah, yeah. Battle of Hastings. Very exciting. On to one of my favorite things to do, which is to eat. Pub lunch, Sunday roast. Real ale, yum. Yeah. Now, if you're going to have a pub lunch, you really have to go to a typical country pub. You can do it in the city, but it's just nice if you're out in the countryside or in a small town. Preferably go to an independent pub, but there are some pub chains like Weatherspoons. If you're in the city, then, you know, it's not too bad. We've found them to be of okay quality. But our best experiences have been in just individually owned country pubs out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I think Oundel was the real place for that. We are in the small uh, market town called Oundel for about one month at this time last year. And it was perfect. Just end of the day, put the lead on the dog. And as the sun's setting, you're walking through the fields a couple of miles in one direction or another to get to a little 
country pub. Yeah, it was just beautiful. There's nothing quite like it. We also went and had a pub lunch with my brother and his fiance Katie when we went to Bath, remember? That was really nice. Mm -hmm. Typically beef is the most common option, but chicken, pork, and occasionally lamb are also on offer. Hey, one thing I definitely try and do is to get down to the Isle of Wight. I, I hope we're heading north at some point in this space. <laughs> south, south, south. But the Isle of Wight, you cross one of the most expensive waterways in the world to get there per kilometer. It's a tiny journey with a huge price ticket. But after you're over there, spending a few days relaxing near the sea is just cool. Yeah, we really liked our time in the Isle of Wight. I think we were there for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. It was during our brook time. <laughs> but it was a really nice feeling, just relaxed, small town, English countryside feeling. And one thing we did there was the Isle of Wight coastal path, which took us, uh, I think, about three nights uh, to walk slowly, five nights to walk slowly right around the island and completely circumnavigate it. So that was cool. Yeah, I remember we put up our tent. We weren't really supposed to be tenting, but there was no campsite nearby. And so we found a little spot where we could put up our tent. It was Craig's birthday, and we woke up in the morning to find rabbits bounding in front of the tent. It was quite magical. <laughs> that was cool. So one really good thing about England is that it's in Europe. And as New Zealanders, when we go from New Zealand and fly all the way to England, it seems like a waste to only visit one country. And luckily, there are cheap flights from England to many countries, especially around Europe, such as Italy. And that's a happy coincidence because this week's episode is brought to you by Select Italy. Select Italy designs custom itineraries and books a whole range of products and services, including tours, romantic wedding and honeymoon trips, and provides ticketing services for museums and musical events in Italy. You can visit selectitaly.com to learn more. So if you're planning a trip to England, we highly recommend you add just, you know, a weekend in Italy onto your itinerary. We've already mentioned the Isle of Wight coastal path. We've mentioned walking out to a country pub in the dusk. And in Led Zeppelin's immortal words, ramble. Ramble is one of my favorite things to do in the UK. I would really love to do the full walk of the, of the whole UK. For, you can go from Land's End, right in the far south, all the way up to John O'Groats in the north of Scotland. And I think that would be awesome. It would take months, and people have done it. People have done it by foot. They've done it by bike. I want to do it by foot, but oh my goodness, we just need to find some time. Yeah, yeah. We have done some smaller walks around the UK. I'd quite like to do the Pennine Way as well, which is in northern England. Are you going north? And yeah, there we go. We're up there. <laughs> yes. And uh, that just looks beautiful, and day hikes around the Lake Districts mm -hmm. and things like that, just fantastic looking. I've been reading a lot of um, mystery novels recently, and, and my favorite ones are all set in England. Quite often the characters will head off on walking tours, walking holidays. It's just really interesting. I'd love to do that as well. Just, you know, put a pack on my back and go for a walking trip through, through the north of England. Awesome. Nice. Connected with that, but maybe not so hard on the feet, is cruising. River and canal boating in the UK is Awesome. I mean, iconically, you have the River Thames coming out of London. And just uh, further north up the Thames are great places to hire boats. You're away from the city, away from the noise. Great places to hire boats and go and cruise around or even have them for a few days and kind of hop from mooring to mooring, visiting the little pubs along the canal, along the river. 
really nice, really fun. Yeah, I'd really like to do that canal boating through England. We did a little bit in France, but we never, we've never done it in England, apart yeah. from your. Well, course. well, I have. Yes. Yeah. You don't need a license to do any freshwater boating in the UK, but you do on the continent. So if you're looking at canal boating and don't want to have to do any licensing, then it's the best place in Europe to do it. But if you're down on the continent, you do need a license. And you can get that in the UK. So I got the best of both worlds in going and doing a course for a couple of days on the Thames uh, around Marlow. And then a couple of weeks later, down into France, cruising around there. Awesome. So moving along to point number eight of our top 10 things to do in England is to see Stonehenge. Yeah, going back into history, if we go back just into Victorian history, you'd show up at Stonehenge and be given a pick and a chisel and a hammer and told to take a little souvenir home with you. Can you imagine, my goodness, destroying the the historical artifacts? Ah, (laughs) seems so wrong. Well, we used to recommend going there and if you're in a hurry, doing the, the Scotsman's tour. You know, just stopping in the car park, having a look at it and going, yep, that looks like it's looked like in every movie and every photo (laughs) I've ever seen, jumping back in the car and uh, going away. But we have uh, been inside the complex a few times and now you kind of have to be because I've built a big fence around it to stop people uh, just looking in. Yeah, it used to be that you could just kind of drive by on your way to the main car park. Stonehenge was behind a fence, yes, but you could see it really clearly. But we were there recently as part of our trip to Bath with Simon and Katie, and it was getting dark and the fog was in, and we arrived, and we couldn't see anything at all uh, because I think they'd moved the fence, they'd moved the car park area, or they just rearranged things a bit. So it was no longer easy to see Stonehenge from the road. So that was a bit disappointing because we had gone a couple of hours out of our way to see this, and we saw nothing. And, of course, it was almost closing time, so it wasn't worth going in. It was over closing time. They wouldn't let us in. Oh, okay. Well, there was no no chance anyway because we needed to get back to return the car. So it was unfortunate. But anyway, we highly recommend going in. Uh, The audio guide, when we were there a few years ago, we found it really good because it gave you a great interpretation of the historical area. So we'd recommend that. I feel like we're going to miss out a ton of cities, right? But I do want to say... One of my favorite things to do is to spend time in small towns. And there are small towns that are kind of scary and small towns that are kind of lovely. You've got to try and find the lovely ones. Yeah, it's difficult. I was trying to think when I was putting together this list, what shall I add? Shall I add in Leeds? You know, we had a really great time in Leeds. So we put in Brighton, which is a really fun day trip from London. And I was thinking, you know, I really love these cities. But our best experiences have been in, in small towns. And I think in small town England, you really get the feeling of England. Yeah. And, you know, these are experiences that might not translate so well for other people. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't say, hey, you know what? You want to go and spend an hour and a half on the train to get to Chertsey. Or you want to catch the train to Peterborough and then a bus and then a taxi and go to Oundle. I don't know if if that would have the same kind of connection for people yeah. as it did for us. But going and spending a few months in these smaller towns, uh, smaller cities, larger towns, really kind of connected with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say if you have the opportunity to go to a small town, maybe if you find a house that like we did, or maybe if you're looking for Airbnb options and you see one that's maybe a little bit out of the way and you think, well, we'll give it a go. Those are the opportunities to take when you're in England because you do get an interesting experience out of it. 
Yeah, some of my favorite things for those kind of places are the beautiful kind of village storefronts and high streets, but even more importantly is the local merchants and the cheese and the, the fresh meat coming from the butchers and all of that kind of stuff that really feels connected to the past and connected to food production. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I remember when we lived in St. Albans and we were there for the winter. It was really cold and the days were really very short. I'd get up in the morning and I'd walk to work and the sun was just coming out as I was walking to work. So I had a bit of light then. And then I was at work all day. I finished at about 4.45. And on Wednesdays, it was market day. And finishing at 4.45 was perfect because they, they tried to be all finished up by 5 p.m. So there were often quite great deals. Usually they'd be selling two or three bananas for a pound, but at the end of the day, they had these enormous bowls, you know, 15 bananas for a pound. And I come home and go, everyone's eating bananas. <laughs> but I, I remember the, the common refrain of the, uh, the farmer's market sell, salesperson, pound a pound, pound a pound. <laughs> uh, didn't make any sense to me at the time because, you know, I wasn't used to British pounds and I wasn't used to the measure of weight of pounds. So, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I got there in the end. Well, it's coming up for the afternoon for us, which makes me think of one of my favorite hobbies in England, which is drinking beer. In fact, that's one of my favorite hobbies everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Just after whiskey and wine. But I think England has a special place in your heart with regards to beer, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, especially living in St. Albans, which is the home of the, the movement called Camera, the Campaign for Real Ale which is a fantastic thing, something that everyone should support. <laughs> and in fact, one of the first things we did when we first went to England, so we left New Zealand, we flew to Hong Kong and then to England and then to Malta, but we had a few days in England before we went to Malta. And during those few days, A, we went out for a pub lunch, B, it snowed, and C, we went to a real ale festival. Yeah, and real ale festivals are something quite spectacular because you don't get – it's not like the highly professional microbreweries that you get in the States. This is the people that are making beer in their garage. This is the people that are, you know, doing it for fun on the weekend. I think it's a massive boat, so really. There are some – yeah, there are some professional and semi-professional ones, but it's in no way – the kind of strictly processed, controlled, ticked off by the food authority kind of beer making. You know, you've just got Joe that shows up, you know, with a couple of kegs. And that was just something in its variety of flavor, some of it quite horrid, but in its <laughs> variety of flavor and just the kind of organic, bring your own kind of feel to it mm -hmm. was something really, really cool. I really enjoyed trying the real cider. So this is apple cider, and it's a lot stronger than you might expect apple cider to be. But, you know, quite often at these real ale festivals, you can also get cider. So I enjoyed that. You know, it's made from apples. Yeah, mostly apples. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. We have covered, I think, England from the, from the entrance point for most of us in London, heading south, heading north, getting into the towns, getting into the country, and uh, finishing off with a bit of food and drink. So yeah, those are our top 10 things to do in England. I'm sure that there are some things on the list that you agree with, some things that you disagree with. Send us an email, mail at IndieTravelPodcast.com to let us know which ones you agree with and which ones you think we're totally wrong about or which ones we should add to the list. So if it was the top 11 things or 12 or 300, what would you add to this list? Nice. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all at Indie Travel.
Well, that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.